Will the 2022-2023 college football season have that frog in them? We'll talk about it next on Locked on Horn Frogs. You are Locked on Horn Frogs. Your daily podcast on the TCU Horn Frogs. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network. Your team every day. Locked on Horn Frog, subscribe on YouTube and your favorite podcast platform. It's Monday, January 9th. TCU plays for a national championship today. Not a whole lot else to say about that. It's a pretty cool moment. Um, Matt Jennings is with me. And Matt, we have spent a lot of time in the course of our friendship uh, talking about TCU football in dorm rooms, in the uh, blue cafeteria, um, and then like on the phone, through the internet, through the years. Um, we've never talked about this particular game because TCU has not been there. Uh, I think at times it felt like the Frogs were close, but they also felt like they were very far away. And so it's it's really cool that they're here. And we kind of traded text messages yesterday. We're in this weird place, or at least I'm in this weird place. I'll speak for myself where I am very grateful and happy for what they've done. And I realize that like the rational part of my brain says, no matter what happens tonight, it was a fantastic season and I should appreciate that. Um, And I will eventually, but I also don't know when and if they'll get back. And I really want them to capitalize on this opportunity because I don't think there's anything in my sports fandom that I would like more. Well, I know, I know there's nothing that I would enjoy and like more in my sports fandom than the TCU Horned Frogs winning the national title in football. And so uh, they're on the doorstep here. Um, what would it mean to you? What would it mean to the program if they beat Georgia tonight and win it all? Yeah, man. I mean, how much time do you have? I mean, it's, it is, it's wild that we're here. You know, I was I was texting you and and some friends, as you, as you mentioned. Like I was just saying, you know, I'm I'm really nervous. I'm kind of emotional. Like even like thinking about the prospect of it. Like just being frank, I, you know, I, I I want this one bad, man. I want it bad. Um, to your point, because you don't, and I can say this as a. <laughs> ironically as an Atlanta sports fan as a Falcons fan in particular you don't know when these opportunities are going to come um you don't know the next time you're going to see it um weirdly enough with playoff expansion I think TCU will be in the field more often now but I'm not sure their path to a title gets easier with that because when you add additional games that tends to favor the teams that have more depth and have more talent. I think TCU is building depth and talent. And like, I like what the direction of the program is under Sunny Dykes and what they're trying to do with the roster and all that. That's great, but they're not going to be an Ohio state roster, a T uh, an Alabama roster, a UGA roster. And so like, I'm kind of like, they might get into the field more often, but I'm not sure that their path to the title gets any easier. And so I'm kind of in a weird, like fatalistic place where I'm like, this might be, this might be overstating it, but it, it, it could be not 
to win a title like in our lifetime. Um, that might be overstating it, but it's how I'm kind of feeling at the moment. And yeah, I just want it really bad. It, it, what this group of players has gone through with the end of the Gary Patterson era, with the drama of this season, with a bunch of, you know, Max Duggan in particular, it would be an incredible ending to the story. Um, and it's one that I would, I, I would love to see. And I know a lot of other people would love to see. And, and it's, yeah, man, I just, <laughs> I just keep saying, I want this one bad, man. I want it bad. And we're going to find, we're going to, we're going to F around and find out, I guess. <laughs> well, I mean, you, you're in the heart of this. Like I know you don't have hatred for Georgia, but I mean, you live in, Atlanta. So there's a lot of people in your life that are invested in this game and that you can hold scoreboard over if, if they win. And I know it's not really about that, but like, that's another fun aspect of this game for you. Is that correct? I am. It's one of those things where it's like, I am worried about having to go to family functions about having to go into the office or, or, interact with coworkers or, or see friends and like have and like this game come up, you know, I, I don't want to have to deal with that. <clears throat> That's one thing that living in Georgia, I have mercifully not had to deal with in it over the last few, over the last few years of the Gary Patterson era. I didn't have to deal with like running into like my Baylor fan friends. Like I would get a snarky text message from friend of the pod, Shahanjay Raja, when TC would lose to Baylor, but like, that was it. Right. Um, which has only been like whereas, once in the past decade, by the way, because frogs yeah, own yeah. them. It, it, <clears throat> key to note, <laughs> but the, it's just like, I'm so I am a little surrounded and it would be, I'm going to, it would be really fun to um, have that as a topic of conversation to, and, and like, they're not going to get hurt by it because like they can point to their national title from last year. Right. So it's not like it's this mm -hmm. huge. Yeah. It's not like it's this huge um, thing for them since they just won their first title in 40 years. I think they'll get over it. But um, the good news is it's not TCU doesn't come into this, uh, this game with the history against Georgia that, and Alabama does, or um, one of their other, um, uh, maybe, you know, if they ever did, like if they, if they were playing like Florida or if they were playing Tennessee um, in the title game, um, the intensity there would be much more ramped up. Whereas this truly becomes like two very disparate, very different programs from in very different places in very different circumstances um, who got here in very, very different ways. And, um, that contrast in styles and that contrast in history just makes it a cool story where you don't, <laughs> the, the fan bases aren't going to run into each other and like have a bunch of, have a bunch of uh, friction, except in my case. Cause again, I live among many, many Bulldogs. Yeah. And I mean, if, if you're sitting there and you're like, we're overstating this, which we might be, 
I mean, it, it does feel like the landscape is changing somewhat in college football. We'll see how sustainable it is. But there's some things that play now with the transfer portal and with NIL that could potentially even the playing field a little bit for a program like TCU that's willing to invest. But, I mean, you look at the last decade, the teams that have won a national championship, uh, Alabama, Florida State, Ohio State, Clemson, LSU, Georgia. That's the list. Like, that's it. I mean, it, it's, it has been made into more than ever, really. And it's always been a sport <clears throat> that was sort of, you know, the exclusive club. But it really has turned into um, just the Blue Bloods club. And so for TCU to even be here, it's a big deal. But, I mean, we just want to see them get this done. And I know all of you listening, unless you're a Georgia fan listening, uh, want to see this as well. And so we'll break down the game, right? Like, let's talk about these actual matchups. And so offensively, um, Matt, we didn't get to talk after the Michigan game. But, I mean, the offense, they scored 51. Well, I guess they scored 37 points because two of those touchdowns were pick sixes. But overall, really good day offensively. A lot of explosive plays, a lot of huge drives um, in the first half, explosive plays in the second half to win that game. And – Playing Georgia this week, which their defense has shown some vulnerability lately. You know, Ohio State was able to throw the ball against them. LSU scored some points in the second half, kind of depending on how you view that game. You know, was that just garbage time or was that actually Georgia's defense showing some weaknesses? But regardless, um, some teams have scored on them lately. And so TCU's going to face them on Monday night or tonight as we're recording this. Um, my first question to you, Kendra Miller, my gut says that he'll go. I don't know how effective he'll be, but I think he'll get out there and play. Um, can this, can, can you run the ball in Georgia? Is it worth even trying to do that? I mean, Garrett Riley, he believes in it. Like he's going to run the football. Um, but nobody's really done it this year. And you mentioned Jalen Carter. He's a big man in the middle. He's a big part of that. Um, do, do they abandon it completely? Do they go a different creative direction with it? How do you kind of see them trying to attack this Georgia front seven? Yeah, I mean, if you look at the the two teams that probably have had the most success against Georgia offensively in the last 18 months, Ohio State uh, in the semifinal, and then Alabama in the SEC title game a year ago, which – totally different roster so take it for what it's worth um i think you would say probably a better defense from georgia that um last year still very very good but they are down five nfl first round picks from a year ago <laughs> um but um what those teams both kind of like ran it nominally for a minute and then they were kind of like look this isn't like there's no point in even trying this like we're gonna try and we're going to put the ball in Bryce Young's hand, uh, hands. We're going to put it in CJ Stroud's hands and we're going to, we're going to let the chips fall where they may kind of a thing. And so I think there's a situation that TCU could find themselves in where they kind of do the same thing. I think that TCU does believe in running the ball and using it to set stuff up. And so I think they will try just to keep Georgia honest, if nothing else, when they do run, I think you saw this against Michigan a little bit. I think you'll see them running outside the tackles more often than than normal. They attacking the edge, running away from Jalen Carter. Um, they also might not um, 
I'll be curious to see how many, what the what the splits look like in terms of how often they're running zone blocking schemes versus gap schemes because, um, in theory, you know gap schemes are great for getting numbers on the edge if you're running counter, you're running power or whatever. The problem there is that if you've got a pulling guard, a pulling tackle, um, are you creating a space for Jalen Carter to uh, break into the backfield and blow up a play before it starts, right? And so I'll be curious to see if they try and run the ball, how much. I think they will try and get to the edge more often than not. Um, and I think I'll be curious to see if they how they try and run the ball in that way. I do think they'll try, to your point. I think Garrett Riley believes in it. And um, the other thing about it that makes it interesting, and we saw Ohio State do this, is Ohio State was able to run the ball with C.J. Stroud, who had never put that on film before. Let's make that editorial comment for a second. Um, but uh, C.J. Stroud showed that you could carve them up um, a little bit, and so you'd have to expect that TCU is going to try and exploit that with Max Duggan, both from a design perspective and giving him the green light to, to improvise. Yeah, and, and that goes to sort of our next topic. So Max, um, and we talked about this in the Big 12 title game, they've used him more. I think you were right on with your assessment of a lot of his lack of, of run plays in the middle of the year was kind of out of self-preservation. I don't think that was his decision. I think that was coaching staff's decision saying, hey, we can't, you know, this guy can't get hurt. Like, we can't mess up the season by having him um, trying to run in the open field too often. So they went back to that a little bit in the Michigan game, uh, especially in the red zone. That seems like it's where they want to use it the most is, have, you know, having the defense have to account for him and making sure that there's 11 players that they have to – you know, account for um, when the windows get tighter. But, yeah, C.J. Stroud was successful. I mean, do you think it'll be on more designed runs? The funny thing about Max and the scrambling is he hasn't really done that. I mean, he scrambles, but he's become much more focused on, like, if I'm going to break the pocket and get outside, keeping the play alive, or if I'm going to bail, I'm just trying to keep – the play alive so I can eventually dump it off to somebody. Uh, but I do wonder if George is going to play a lot of man coverage like they did against Ohio State and guys have their back turned if he just says, all right, I'm going to take off and, you know, see what I can get with my legs. Yeah, I mean, that was what his biggest play of the K-State game in the Big 12 title game was, right, was a um, bunch of man coverage and um, they get pressure and he's able to elude it and then he gets to the edge and he's like, all right, I'll just, I'll just take it. So I, I do think that'll be the scenario. If you see him take it on non-designed runs, like it's a, it, the, the, the play is designed as a drop back and then it turns into a max scramble. Um, I think that'll be if Georgia can get pressure and get pressure quickly and get home. Right. Um, if they are trying to get pressure, but um, or, or they blitz and, and the TCU offensive line is able to pick it up, I think we've seen like Duggan has been really patient in the pocket this season. Some, sometimes a little bit to a fault, but um, he I think he's going to stand in there until he feels like he doesn't have the option to. That's what it comes down to is can Georgia get pressure on him? And that is one 
interesting thing to me from talking to some of my uh, friends who either watch the team a lot or who cover the team. Shout out Connor Riley at Dog Nation. I do. I have I've some uh, some reporting from him from this week that I want to talk about a little bit. But um, they've noted Georgia doesn't really do a great job getting pressure with just three or four guys. Usually when they're, they're, they're able to get pressure, but they're usually dialing up a blitz to create it, to manufacture it. And we saw when Michigan tried to do that against, against TCU in the Fiesta Bowl, Max was really good at getting the ball out of his hands, you know, finding the hot read and, or eluding the pressure and creating something, uh, buying enough time. He did really, really well in those scenarios. And so I do wonder if that is something that could play in TCU's favor. Um, UGA just like has not had a dominant like edge rusher this year, um, which would be like where you would think that they would be able to take advantage of TCU just because of if you're going to pick the weak points on TCU's offensive line, it's on the ends, right? It's, it's Brandon Coleman and Andrew Coker. Um, they don't have a dominant edge rusher and their best edge rusher is, is out with an injury and no one Smith. And so if they have to dial up blitzes to get that pressure, can Duggan at le- either elude it, scramble and create positive yards, create first downs, or is, can he um, make the right read in the face of that pressure, stand in the pocket and make the throws and make him pay for it. He was able to do it against Michigan. It's a different caliber of competition, obviously against Georgia. Um, but I think that's something that does play into TCU's favor more than you would expect just because of just what Georgia's MO and its identity and what, what the mystique and the narrative around them are is, is how dominant they are in defense. And they are, um, but they are similar to Michigan in that way. And that the, the strength in their defense on the defensive line is in the middle rather than on the edge. Uh, so Quentin Johnson had a really good game in the Fiesta bowl over 150 yards. Obviously a lot of that was on the 75 yard touchdown catch that he made and his little hesitation move will live in my mind forever. It's one of my favorite things in, in sports that I've watched. Was when if, he, the, if, know, the, if the freaking State Farm Stadium field wasn't a swamp, that, that plays probably a touchdown, by the way. Um, yeah. You'd say that about quite a few plays, but guys slipping and sliding all over the place. Um, but no, yeah, he, that, that open field cutback stutter step move um that's his that's one of his favorite things to do along with the catch the curl spin move throw the defender off of me those are i feel like his two favorite things to do yeah he likes a little drop step um but i think the biggest question with the passing game is hopefully he gets his even though he's gonna have a tough matchup with with keely ringo and what else you know whatever else they decide to do because it's obviously possible they could try to bracket him or double him so who outside of Quentin is able to get some separation and make plays? I mean, Savion Williams has not really been a factor lately. It would be great if he could um, find his way back to be more productive. Um, Darius Davis has struggled. Tay Barber has been really consistent, as he always has been for his whole career. <clears throat> but, you know, one name that, that did pop, Matt, and has lately, Jordan Hudson has made some plays. Had a couple catches in the Fiesta Bowl. You know, they targeted him in the Big 12 title game, and he made some things happen. Um, so who, who do you think is that second wide receiver tonight who could possibly break things open and 
get the Georgia defense out of just focusing all their attention on Quentin? So I do think that it is in all likelihood. I think Jordan Hudson or Tay Barber are the guys. I do think it's probably Hudson um, just because he seems like the hot hand lately and he seems like he's poised for a breakout game. Um, And we, we keep talking about like, where does TCU have a matchup not even advantage, but just like a net neutral, right? And Jordan Hudson as a as a you know true freshman, but a blue chip recruit. Um, Savion Williams is a former four star. Those are guys that you point to, and you're like, okay, I think you know those could be those could be the guys. But the reason I gravitate toward Hudson, I think, is because you know I, I was reading David Ubbins piece in the Athletic this week. A bunch of like anonymous coaches gave kind of their takes on the matchups and everything like that. And one thing that they mentioned about Ringo, but just he's, uh, Georgia's um, uh, second is how um, they obviously they play a lot of man-to-man. And so you got to be able to, to win those one-on-one matchups. And Hudson um, is more the guy where it's like Savion, when he makes catches, he's not necessarily getting separation. He's winning with his size and his leaping ability. Which is a totally fine way to win when you when you're six five you know two ten receiver go for it dude. Um, Jordan Hudson is more of a guy who is going to be able to take advantage of maybe a, a defensive back who um, can't change direction quite as well, um, and he's really good at kind of feeling where the defense is. He did that a couple times against Michigan, admittedly against his own coverage, but he like felt where the soft spot in the zone was, and he just sat down in it, and he and he made sure Duggan knew exactly where he was, and and Duggan put the ball on him right, and so he's the guy who I think matchup wise in terms of style of play kind of fits in terms of could be poised for a really good game as well. So I'm watching Tay Barber. I'm watching Jordan Hudson. Obviously if you can get the whole group, you can get Savion, you get Darius going. Darius Davis has been really quiet. Um, at least in the passing game for quite a few weeks. Um, and, but he's got the speed, man. If they can get a, especially since they play man so much, if they can get a, if they can get a pick play or some sort of matchup that they like that he can just get on top of a guy, um, maybe this is the Darius Davis game where suddenly he explodes, right? Um, but I do lean toward Hudson. They've got the talent, though. That's the thing about the narrative coming into this game. Is people talk about, like, oh, TCU's, like, QG, QJ and some guys. Like, they've got a ton of talent in this receiving core. And Ohio State showed... You can make some hay against this Georgia secondary. They're also like super banged up. They've got a bunch of guys out um, or or, uh, young players playing. Um, A bunch of really young, talented players playing, but young guys playing. You can can find some opportunities. Again, if you can protect Max Duggan for long enough, I I think QJ and quite a few of these receivers are going to get their opportunities. You got to take advantage of them, though. You do, and I, I mean, I'd love to see Darius break one. You know, it's been a while in the passing game. Now, somebody on YouTube mentioned earlier this week when I was talking about the fact that they haven't got him involved, like he'll be a factor in the kicking game, which is definitely true. And if he breaks the punt return or kick return, then that could change the game. So I know he'll have an impact to the game regardless. Um, I would just love to see him get an explosive play on offense. And speaking of explosive plays, we'll sort of wrap this part of it up. Um can, can they do this one more time, Matt? I mean, I, I felt dumb. I spent so much of the week, the Michigan week, like discussing um, 
oh man, they got to sustain drives. And they did in the first half. But in the second half, I was reminded like, oh yeah, this is just who they are. Like they're not going to have a lot of 12 play drives. <laughs> they're going to have a lot of long passes to QJ or long run by Marty Mercado. I mean, they, they really are trying to find a way to get big plays. Can, do you feel like they can do that for one more week against this Georgia defense? I think they can because Ohio State showed that you showed that it's possible, right? Um, Ohio State really gave maybe not a blueprint to TCU, but certainly gave them some notes, right? Um, there was yeah. there was you know reading some of the some of the pieces from from people out there in LA this week talking about, and this was an Ovens piece as well. What TCU does under Riley is less like this is our bread and butter and this is what we do, which is what a lot of air raid stereotypical air raid guys do is like these are our eight plays and we just run them to perfection and we're just gonna we're gonna we're gonna out execute you or kill you. Riley's approach is much more let me find what the defense is bad at and let me exploit it, right? And so um, I do think that he obviously would have been watching the uh, the Peach Bowl very closely and seeing what Ohio State did throwing the ball and creating some big plays to Marvin Harrison Jr., um, Emeka Egbuka, uh, um, and, and find like, oh, we have the dudes. We can do that too, right? And so um, I, I think that I think that they can create those plays. It's a matter of how many. I will say – in the moment watching the Michigan game, it felt like TCU was living and dying by the big play. Interestingly enough, as I was looking back at it, and, and um, shout out Parker Fleming, um, you know he does his every week. He does his like, did we really get that? Did we really get beat that bad chart thing? And it's like difference in success rate. And success rate is a measure of like efficiency, not explosiveness. TCU was like almost ten percentage points more. Um, uh, had had a, had a like eight or nine percent. Uh, advantage in success rate over Michigan in that game. So TCU was actually the more efficient team for the whole game, which is something that like didn't feel exactly right at the time. But then you go back and you look at it and you're like, oh, wait, hold on. They did um, uh, hit, uh, they, they did have a few sustained drives. They were four or five on touchdowns in the red zone. Like they were, they were putting together multi-play drives and and then finishing them, which was the thing that I was super worried about against that Michigan defense, right? And so, mm. can they do that? Can they do that again against UGA um, and against the UGA offense on the flip side that has not always executed super well in the red zone this season? Um, so, can you do exactly? <laughs> I hate to make this like this is super reductive, but. Georgia and Michigan are very, are maybe not schematically, but vibes wise, philosophically, they're, they're they're pretty similar. The big difference is that Georgia's just more talented. Georgia has like a top five roster in college football. Michigan's like a top fifteen roster in college football, right? But they want to control the line of scrimmage. They want to run the ball. They want to. Um, they they want to um, really just lean on you for four quarters. And then hit and, and with the body blows, and then you're just worn down, and their athletes are just able to, you know, outpace you for four quarters. The strength of their defense is the middle of their defensive line, not so much the edge rushers. You know, just there's a lot of parallels between these two teams, which is part of the reason why 
I feel cautiously optimistic that at least TCU is going to be able to make a game because we just saw them play this this game. Again, not exactly the same game, but vibes-wise, it feels like a similar game. And so then the question to me is, to your point, do you bring it all the way back? I promise I'm coming back to the explosive plays thing. They did that against Michigan, and they took Michigan entirely out of their game plan. Like, Michigan wanted to lean on TCU for four quarters. Then they look up and they're down 21-3, and it's like, well, I guess we have to put the hands and, and have him win the game because we have to play catch-up, right? And I don't know if you can do that against Georgia, but if you could, you know, making their offense run through Stetson Bennett rather than the run game sets up that super dynamic pass game with those, uh, with, you know, Aaron Smith and A.D. Mitchell and Brock Bowers and Darnell Washington, having, having it be inverted, that's your recipe for success. Um, can they do it again is the big thing. Can they get a pick six early in the game that kind of sparks it like they did against, yeah. uh, like they get against, um, uh, against Michigan. Michigan. But Stetson had some, Stetson had some, some ducks against Ohio mm-hmm. State too, right? It's not impossible. Is it likely? Probably not. Um, but I don't think it's outside the realm of possibility. I think we've seen this movie before. And hey, if TCU's the team, I'm rambling now, I'm sorry. But if TCU's the team that ends up down 14 nothing, 21-3 early, well, we've seen TCU win that story too, right? So like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not going to be... Um, uh, I feel like I'm not going to be just like throwing, you know, turning the game off at halftime regardless, like no matter what. Like I think regardless of what the game state looks like midway through the game, I think TCU's shown they can win all sorts of those different kinds of games. Just a matter of can they beat it, can they do it against a team of Georgia's caliber? Correct. Um, so yeah, let's turn our attention to the defense. And the pick sixes last week were were huge. Uh, I would say the thing that gives me optimism about creating turnovers again was both those plays were really good plays. I mean, I'm not saying right. they weren't mistakes by J.J. McCarthy, but like Bud Clark recognizes immediately out routes coming, drives on the ball, takes it from him. Takes that him was that was an NFL pick. That was an yes. NFL break on the ball. It was a it was a clinic. Like you could show that at a clinic on how to defend, you know, that particular play. Um, D winners kind of right place, right time, but still, you know, reads the quarterback eyes, gets over, takes it to the house. Um, this Georgia offense is good and they're super talented. Now I think their, their weapons on the outside, I still feel pretty good about TCU's matchups with the corners. The, the thing that's given me heartburn all week, Matt, is these tight ends. Brock Bowers um, and Darnell Washington. And neither of these guys, like, I I can't think of a comp in the Big 12. I mentioned, like, Jatavian Sanders at Texas, um, the kid at Baylor whose name escapes me right now, Ben Sims, I think. But they're they're not like this. And I just wonder when when Georgia goes, like, 12 personnel, assuming Darnell Washington plays – which based on what I've heard this week, I think he probably will. So when they go to those two tight end sets, I, I'm not sure how TCU adjust. And we did a podcast before the Michigan game and some nerds from Michigan like clipped, took a clip that we uh, 
talked about and like tried to clown us and call us stupid. But they missed our point, which ended up being right in this game, which is that Michigan tried to run like between the tackles most of the time. And aside from that first run by Donovan Edwards, uh, they failed at it. Like TCU held up pretty well against it. Um, I would expect Kirby Smart to try to get to the edge, you know, but I'm, I'm rambling now. Anyway, the tight ends, Bowers and Washington. I mean, how do you think Joe Gillespie goes about trying to slow them down? Because I, I don't see a great matchup for those guys um, with, with the defensive personnel that they have on the field typically. Yeah, I mean, matching either of those guys up against a linebacker is kind of a losing proposition anyway. It's especially so because of what Gillespie's defense, like the whole conceit of it is, and we saw this against Michigan, part of why they were able to stop Michigan's run game so well was because D winners, Jamoy Hodge, Donnie Hodges, were flying downhill. They were, uh, you know, they were coming from angles that Michigan wasn't expecting. They were making their run fits well, and they were able to be aggressive and attack quickly and stop things for no game. And a lot of time, make plays in the backfield. Awesome. And that was helped probably, honestly. Injuries are part of the game. But it was probably um, helped by the fact that Schoonmaker went down early in that game for Michigan, right? So they didn't have a tight end who could kind of make the linebackers pay or make them hesitate and wait at all, right? Obviously, George has two of those guys. Two guys who, as you so uh, correctly said uh, when we were having a conversation about this a few weeks ago, are like Pokemon characters, right? Like they're just, they're not human. They're superhuman. They're, they're, they're superpowered creatures, right? Um, and so if, if D winners, Jamoy Hodge, Johnny Hodges are flying downhill to try and make tackles in the run game, um, then, but they also have to, mind those two guys those two guys are in for a big game if those guys if those linebackers are are hesitating because they're worried about those and they're not firing downhill the way that they were making the run fits the way they were and they give those offensive linemen a chance to climb to the second level then suddenly georgia's run game opens up right so i all that's a long preamble to say i don't think the linebackers will be the primary people who have to do it i think I honestly think a lot of the burden is going to fall on Bud Clark, um, at least when it comes to Bowers, um, who is um, – Washington's a really good pass catcher too, but Bowers is more of like the guy they run their, their – um, who is their primary target as a receiver, right? Yeah. And um, they'll use him in like jet I think sometimes too. I mean they they got a lot of right. different ways they use him. And so that's and, – and, but that's the thing, right? It's like if you're talking about who in the defensive backfield for TCU has the speed to – you can start 8, 10 yards back from the line of scrimmage and then fly up to to be able to contend and make the play or, or horizontally, laterally around the field, it's probably Bud Clark, honestly, without sacrificing – too much in terms of what you're doing against the run, right? So I don't think he's like gonna like shadow him like all game by any means. Like, but I do think he'll be the guy who has to make that play. And I and I think I think we'll see that go both ways because as we talked about, Bud Clark, tremendous ball skills can break on the ball as as well as a lot almost as well as any safety that I can remember in recent memory for TCU. Like, he's really great at that. 
that aggression also means that he he gets out of position sometimes, and I think Bowers is going to make some big plays against him. Uh, and so it's just a matter of like how many great balls does Stetson Bennett throw, and how many um, how many opportunities does he give Bud Clark to even the playing field by making play on the ball, right? That's probably what I see happening against Bowers. Washington, I think that's the thing. If you've got both of them and Washington's like also an offensive lineman, basically um, it's a question of how, how effective and how healthy Washington is. If he's healthy enough, I, I think you're holding on and you're just praying and just seeing what you can do. Um, because then you're, then you're asking Mark Brad, uh, uh, Mark, excuse me, Mark Perry or, or, or Miller Bradford to, to, to be the support on the, on, on him or, and, Miller Bradford did not have a great game of the festival, and I hope he has a big bounce-up game in this one, but I, I don't love that matchup. Yeah, it's it's tough. Um, I want to get to Stetson Bennett in a minute, but let's let's do some Dylan Horton appreciation time because suddenly Dylan has become like an NFL pass rusher. I mean, he went up against the Joe Moore award-winning O-line of Michigan last week, and – a lot of times they were rushing three guys and he was winning. Like he was getting double teamed and he was finding a way to win at either three or four sacks, depending on what stat sheet you want to look at um, forced a fumble that unfortunately went out of bounds, but was just super disruptive. And I like, I think that's, he did this against Kansas state to a certain extent too, Matt. I just feel like it's been a huge boost for this defense because for such a, a, a long stretch of this year and really the last couple of years, they haven't had a guy on the edge who could get home and suddenly he's done that. So hopefully he can continue that play tonight, but my goodness, he's been fantastic the last few weeks. He's been really great. People have remarked about the fact that as a former safety, his kind of his speed and athleticism and, and um, what, but, but the fact that he added all that mass, especially under the new strength and conditioning program um, has made him uh, weirdly enough like a force the the three four sacks thing i think it, it's a matter of whether or not people count his tackle on the philly special <laughs> for michigan because <laughs> i think so i think um it was uh, depending on where you look that was counted as a sack or or not um because it wasn't technically the quarterback but but any but he was consistently affecting jj mccarthy um george's offensive line is good um but it is um you know it is not you know that's not something where i've it, I will not pretend to have watched enough of Georgia this season to have a good sense of, of, of their personnel group there. Um, but from what I've read um, and kind of learned about them in the lead up to this game, they're a really good offensive line. They're solid, um, but they don't, um, they're not like, uh, you know, world beating, you know, uh, going to, gonna just overwhelm you they do have at least one first round pick on that on uh on that line um which could make a which um it's it's one of the tackles and it's the name is escaping me right now but but i think they have a, i think horton has a chance to maybe uh make some more plays in this game and 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 affect stetson bennett the thing is stetson bennett just like jj mccarthy again these parallels between these two teams um He's a, he is a mobile guy. He can make plays with his legs, whether the, uh, whether designed or scrambles. Um, so you have to be mindful of that. Um, but it's been fun to watch Horton develop this season. And, you know, there's talk of him being like a top 100 pick this season, uh, this, uh, this coming NFL draft. Um, cool to see. Um, and he's hitting, he's hitting that gear at the exact right time for them. Because you're right, they haven't had it 
kind of all year. No, they haven't. And uh, shout out to O'Shawn Mathis and Kyrie Coleman. Could have been you guys, but you know, whatever. Uh, that was that was unnecessarily mean. I don't know why. Why the <laughs> Kyrie and O'Shawn catching strays and then I'm sorry, guys. I understand. I'm all about player empowerment. There's no reason for me to do that. My goodness. I'm sorry, fellas. I was working out in Old Miss and Nebraska, respectively. Um, so Stetson Bennett and Max Duggan. It's a moxie off, baby. This one's for all the all the grit coins, all the <laughs> lunch pail coaches' sons across the world. Jim um, Rats. Yeah, Jim Rats. First one in, last one out. In all seriousness, though, both these guys are super uh, talented. And I, I, we had a conversation at some point this year about the secondary. And, you know, have they faced a QB – who like truly tested that unit's talent. Um, and we were like, well, eventually they will. And the name that came up with CJ Stroud, which, I mean, I think that's fair. Like, I feel like CJ Stroud of the QBs in the playoff probably has the best pro career, or at least is like the yeah. highest rated pro prospect. He's the best passer. Um, yeah, best passer. But Stetson Bennett threw for almost 400 yards against Ohio State. He also threw some picks. Um, he is, I think to call him like a bus driver at this point is, is unfair. This is not like Ken Dorsey with 2001 Miami, where he's just like distributing the ball to all these amazing skill players. Um, he can make some throws. So, I mean, both these guys have similar stories. I think they have similar ways that they play, but the, do you think, TCU has the advantage in the QB matchup, Matt. I mean, can can the Frogs force Stetson into some mistakes potentially tonight? I do think TCU has the advantage in in the QB matchup. I think I think Max Duggan, on the whole, is a better player and a player who affects the game and affects defenses at a higher level, a higher rate than Stetson does. I think Stetson does that. I just don't think it's at the same level as Max, and that's fine. Um, I, I I do think Stetson is a is a good is a really good distributor. He generally makes good decisions, um, and he is uh, yeah. I hate to talk about guys being gamers or being gritty, or whatever, but like both these guys are. You're absolutely right. I think the thing with Stetson that is interesting, and something that we haven't really seen with Max this year as much as we've seen with him in previous years. Stetson, while he is a, a great distributor and he's good at getting the ball to his playmakers in space, making good decisions, he does have a little bit, we saw it against Ohio State, a little bit of like gunslinger mentality. And he tries to make plays that he tries to, you know, cash checks that is, uh, or, or write checks that his, arms, his arm can't cash, I should say, right? And, um, I do think TCU could take advantage of that in a couple instances. Um, Setson didn't look awesome for the first half. Some of the some of the second half, he looked he was spectacular in the fourth quarter when they needed him most, which he and Max are liking that in that way. Um, but if you can, again, I just keep seeing these parallels because JJ McCarthy is the same thing, right? Puts him in a hole early and then played a lot better down the stretch in that game. Can you get Stetson into that? sort of situation. I think you can. Um, it's going to come down to, can you pressure him? 
Can you do that with Dylan Horton? Um, and can Bud Clark, Trey Hodges Tomlinson, Josh Newton make some plays on the ball? Um, cause they're going to try, they're going to they're going to try and take some shots against you. Um, so, uh, that's a long winded answer to your question. I think the answer is yes. Um, I think the fact that Stetson put together that performance, even after having a month of prep for Ohio state's defense, and now he has 10 days to get ready for a TCU defense that while it is a three, three, five, and they have played a three, three, five earlier this season, they played Mississippi state. And Kirby smart was open this week about talking about like, Hey, Joe Gillespie's is, is different than any other version of this formation yeah. that I've seen. Right. And so like, obviously they've been hard at work getting ready and getting prepped for that, but there's only so much of that you can do that in a week. Right. And so I, and I, and you know, Gillespie's going to cook some stuff up. Right. And so I do think that they're going to have some opportunities. Do they take advantage of them? Um, and, and do they capitalize on them? Right. Do you, do you rope a dope Stetson into, into making some of those throws that maybe are ill-advised? Do you then, make you know make the play on the ball and then offensively do you finish the drill right do you do you capitalize on those turnovers and get points and get not just get points get touchdowns it'll be so key again they only settle for a field goal in the red zone one time against michigan i said this before the michigan game i will say it again i don't want griffin kell out there unless it's to kick a game winner i just you you can't uh you can't just like give away scoring opportunities like yeah. you gotta maximize every single one that you get and so if you get a turnover off of stetson bennett you better be driving the length of the field you better be getting a big play you get get in the end zone um because you need it you have to find the margin somewhere all right guys frogs are playing for a national title thank you to matt uh thank you to so many of you who are loyal listeners um jesus zoom play jack daddy slim on youtube uh my friend gary jacob uh matt jennings brother-in-law who is in la tonight yeah so many of you that are in la tonight thank you i'm sorry for names i'm missing chris gross kyla wakawa um andrew feltz all our all our friends all our people we love you guys we're excited tcu is here and Take a deep breath and try to enjoy tonight. And I'll be back later this week to talk about it regardless. I'll get Matt back in here, and hopefully we're talking about your national champion, TCU Horn Frogs. But we'll see what happens when the ball gets rolled out. And, uh, yeah, everybody, it's Locked on Horn Frogs, your team every